Welcome to Interparty Conflict, the podcast where we answer your questions so you can have the best tabletop gaming experience possible. My name is Gabe. My name is Jeff. And we have a very special guest with us today. One of our listeners, Jacob, is joining us today. Welcome, Jacob. Hi, everybody. Hi. Woo. How you doing? Good. How are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Awesome. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Just uh, just got back from uh, Thanksgiving with the family. So, uh, but, you know, cool. it, it, it went well because it was the first time the dog went on a long trip with us. So and it, and it went really well, actually. She did very good in the car, very good at the like when we were at the place and sure. very good on the car ride back. So I'm actually I'm actually doing pretty good. Relatively speaking, <laughs> I'm, I'm in a good place. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, listeners, we are recording this on the day after Thanksgiving. So, uh, you know, I'm sure all of us have a uh, dangerously high level of turkey in our bloodstream. <laughs> yes, uh, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, Jacob, how are you doing? How's uh, uh, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Uh, how you doing? I guess. Yeah, no, it was good. We um, we had uh, turkey and, you know, all the usual stuff uh, here in Hawaii. We do things a little bit different. So we had mm. um, some pork and some Kahlua pig and some punsit if you know Ooh. filipino food yeah <laughs> i don't but it sounds good um, to me punsit's amazing it's just this noodle dish with you know vegetables and usually chicken put in there mm-hmm. um jeff jeff seems to know what it is so. <laughs> i mean it's just like well, well i mean like hawaiian cuisine just all around is great but just like when you get when you get into like the pork and the oh goodness um, oh yeah yeah well that's one thing they can cook for sure you know it's like we get kalua pork which you know, it's where they stick the pig underground for 24 hours and they let it cook in the oh. with the coal wood. But uh, my wife was kind of broken when she got to the mainland and found out that, oh, it's basically just pulled pork. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure, sure. But and, the flavor with the wood, it's it's a different thing. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, like, just pulled pork in general, I, I absolutely love. But in, like, in, in all different forms, like, you know, the bar- like the barbecue pulled pork is good. But then, like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Skylar makes... Um, I guess it's more closer to like a taco season. Is she puts more like taco oh. seasoning stuff in it, and like she does like a you know pulled pork for like we put in like little tacos and stuff, and that's really good. I, I amazing. Love, I love some pulled pork. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I had a bit of a an ordeal to get tur- to get uh, Thanksgiving going this year. Oh, right. <laughs> I I'll try to keep it short because I, I I've complained about it both to Jeff. I actually discussed it with Jacob on our Discord. <laughs> Uh, basically, I, I have I was making two turkeys for some reason, even though almost nobody was coming over this year. One turkey would have been way more than enough. But I, I decided I wanted to make two turkeys and I wanted to smoke one of them, but it was too big. Everywhere that I looked for guidelines on how long to smoke it was basically like, don't don't do that because it's, it's just too big. And so I, I cut it up into eight pieces, you know, two legs, two breasts, two thighs, two wings. And then I was trying to find out, OK, I can smoke them in parts. That'll surely be faster but how long do I smoke it for? Nobody knows. I even called the Butterball Turkey Helpline. Right. And they were like, yeah, we don't know. That's not really our specialty, so we just don't know how to do it. And then, so I, I, I just did something. I YOLO'd it. And then today, I was on Reddit and, you know, r slash ask culinary is a subreddit that I'm a part of. And I noticed somebody on there was saying that they were they chose to fry a turkey, which I'm actually interested in doing someday. But they cut theirs up into parts, and they were like, nobody can seem to tell me how long to to fry these parts for. And I'm like, man, high five. I know exactly what you're going through. Right. <laughs> so 
for anybody who might be interested in smoking a turkey, what I did was I just I found a guide that showed how long to smoke just turkey breasts. In that case, I think they said 250 degrees for five hours. And so I just put all the parts for the whole turkey in there like that. And it was perfect. It was delicious. Oh, there you go. So, so there you like, go. You think that it would be like the simple math of it. You just sort of like whatever the smallest piece is or like whatever the biggest piece is, you kind of go off of that. Maybe. Uh, nobody <laughs> nobody could tell me that, though. Which I guess is kind of technically what you did because wouldn't the breast be like the biggest, at least the biggest like full chunk of meat? Yeah, the breasts and the legs tend to be around the same yeah. amount of time. So, so I, I feel like that's about what you did is just like, you know, whatever you would cook the breast for, which is the, you know, like that's the biggest chunk of meat. So go off of that. Maybe the other, the smaller bits might end up a little bit more like overdone or dry or something. But yeah, but I don't know. They, everything, everything was delicious. Yeah. yeah and and I, as if you were on the Reddit, I was asking my wife's cousin runs a uh, smoke they do smoke meat and everything. And he basically said, when I told him, gave a cut and date pieces, he goes, don't do that. <laughs> I was like, it's too late. It's already done. That, well, <laughs> that's what other people told me to do too. But then the things they told me to do, I can't do. Like they right. told me to spatchcock it, which is when you like, you cut, cut the spine out and then you just kind of unroll it. So it's like flat, but I don't have room for that. My smoker isn't big enough. So I think I might be getting a new smoker so that I can <laughs> in the future. We'll see. We'll see. But, uh, it's, it's just, it was frustrating because I was like, surely someone has done this before. But right. the only advice I could get was, don't do it. Do something else. Here, I'll, I'll tell you how to do this other thing instead. This other thing like, that you don't you don't have the space for. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. So uh, that was that was my Thanksgiving, I guess. We had way too much food. Um, I almost made a pumpkin cheesecake and two pumpkin pies. Ooh. But at the last minute, I decided to make a pumpkin cheesecake and only one pumpkin pie. Oh, man. We still have most of the pumpkin pie and about a quarter of the cheesecake left. So, one of these days, I want to try your cheesecake, Gabe. I hear about it all the time now in the podcast. I can send you the recipe. It's it's super easy. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, his pumpkin yeah. his pumpkin cheesecake is amazing. It's so good. I will return the favor and send you our pumpkin crunch recipe, so we can I'll take trade. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, we actually had a bonus episode on our Patreon that uh, Jeff and I discussed some of our favorite recipes, and uh, I, I put all the re- the links to the recipes in the show notes for that. So if anyone happens to still be on our Patreon, they can they can go check that out. I'll just put the the pumpkin cheesecake recipe in the the show notes for this. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Jacob, I always mean to ask our guests uh, how they got into tabletop gaming. So how did you get into D&D, any other tabletop games? How did you get into it? Yeah, well, I guess it'd probably help if I introduced myself a little bit. I didn't do that earlier. Um, sure, I'm sorry. So, yeah, yeah sorry. no, that's my bad. <laughs> um, no, so uh, I'm Jacob Cassens. I'm a teacher. I also do a lot of other things. I do a lot of uh, copywriting, uh, editing, and such like that. Uh, I work for a marketing company called Pixel Pop Marketing, doing the oh. uh, copywriting and editing. Uh, I also do ghostwriting and things like that for the board game industry and the RPG industry. Uh, a lot of that stuff comes with NDAs. It's always kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my side gig. I don't know any teachers that don't have a side gig, and I have a couple. Um, so, but the editing one is a big one. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate that the teachers need a side gig, but right, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's um, it's it's just kind of the way it is. But uh, yeah. I enjoy I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the rules editing and writing and things like that. Um, I've done play testing for board games for quite a while as well. Uh, but as for getting into gaming in general, my whole life, uh, my family has always been into games, board games and such. And uh, when I was very young, about seven or eight, uh, Final Fantasy came out for the Nintendo. 
And uh, man, that game blew me away because I'm not really into the action games where you have to, you know, play and be fast and do all that stuff. I'd rather play a game where I can answer puzzles. And and then I found out that there's Dungeons and Dragons shortly after I found this. And (laughs) that was kind of the the turning point. So I played Hero Quest, Dungeons and Dragons, Shadowrun, um, Tunnels and Trolls, all of these games that I could find uh, at the time when I was eight years old. And I played them since then. So that's going back over 30 years. I've been playing uh, role-playing games, uh, board games. Uh, as you can see behind me, the listeners can't see, but I've got a role-playing game shelf in the middle with board games, and I have three board game shelves in the other room, and there's another shelf over here with role-playing books and stuff on it. So mm-hmm. I, I like to get into a lot of uh, different genres of uh, things. So, Well, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, glad that you were uh, a listener of our show. Glad that you've, um, you know, you've been a patron of ours, a patron of ours for a while as well. Mm-hmm. So glad to have you. I know you, you didn't get to take part in very much of it, but you joined shortly before the end of our our monthly Roll Twenty game. So yeah, I that was for, fun. I think you were, you might have only been there for like one or two sessions, but uh, you know, glad you were at least able to join us for a little while. Yeah, I got into one session. Uh, I couldn't make the other one uh, due to mm-hmm. timing, but uh, yeah, it was fun. I loved the Axolotl uh, story and uh, just honestly, just building the character as a game master. Usually, I don't get to uh, to do that. So, sure. uh, Jeff, I don't know if you heard. I, I made a uh, an oxalotl. It was basically a bard warlock mix. It was a lot of fun to nice mess yeah. around with. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was pretty bard cool. Warlock, nice, nice, very good. Yeah, yeah. No, and we got to fight yeah. the giant for mini he of many arms. Orgosh, I think he was right. Uh, uh, Kugrash. Kugrash, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Kugrash of so. many. So many arms. <laughs> yeah. Of all yeah. of the arms. That was a, that was a very fun campaign. I I wish we could have uh, wish we could have kept that going for longer, but unfortunately, it's just hasn't been an option. So yeah, well, it's I have to tell you guys too. I I'm recently caught onto your stuff from I listened to Crit Academy first a couple of years ago. I started, and then I caught about you guys and their stuff, and then I started listening to you, and I binged both of your shows <laughs> to sure, get caught sure. up. Um, up to what was it six months ago or whatever I finally got cut up so sure um, so it's been interesting watching all of that happen and then all of a sudden now I'm rolling with it and keeping up episode to episode so it's been a lot of fun nice cool I'm, Thank I'm, you. like I said I'm, I'm glad that we've had you as a listener and, and as a supporter and uh, glad you've enjoyed what we've been putting out for sure um, so I guess uh, you guys want to go ahead and get into this episode yeah yeah Okay, so I want the two of you to imagine that you are, um, the two of you are sneaking through the castle. Okay. You've heard that there's a a hidden treasure in the castle that can only be accessed by a secret passageway. Mm. And so you've been given a chart, you you paid a bunch of money on the black market for some chart of the the guard schedules, so you know like where the patrols are going to be and so on. However, I do need the two of you to make a stealth check. Okay. I right. should have asked if you had dice on hand. Sorry. Oh, I Gabe. do. Gabe. Yeah. Gabe, I rolled a natural 20. I did. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, sorry, my dice are across the room. Um, That's fine. It looks like Jeff found it, though. So. Okay. Uh, so, Jeff, you're going along, and you notice that Jacob's character is going down the wrong hallway, and you hear the sound of some guards. So you you grab a you grab a curtain rod that's leaning against the wall and like you quickly reach out and like put it right in front of him and stop him, redirect him back towards where you're going. Hey. And you, you carefully <laughs> sneak past some guards and then you come to an empty fireplace that's in a weird part of the weird part of the castle. You never would have expected there to be a fireplace here. It's, there's no wood in it or anything, 
But as you were told, you go over to one of the candlesticks up on top. You lean it to one side and you hear a grinding noise as a stone moves out of the way inside the fireplace. And as you sneak your way through, you, of course, are hit with uh, with with little glints of light off of a giant pile of gold and diamonds and rubies. And you realize that the hidden treasure in this castle came from somewhere else. And do you know where that treasure came from? Where, where, did, it, where did it come from, Gabe? <laughs> that treasure came from... The Dragon's Horde. Oh no. Guys, I just rolled the dice again. Uh, it's another, it's, it was another 20. Oh, is this still the metal die you got? Yeah, this is the metal die. <laughs> this, awesome. This, this die that, that, that Gabe has Gabe got me has been yeah. amazing. Like, I think, at the very least, in the times that I've rolled it for, like, the Dragon's Horde intros, I think it's only run, like, uh, single digits, like, maybe once. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> was that a Christmas present from last year or was that something else? I think it was a Christmas present, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, I went to, to Panemonium, that's a store near us, and uh they, they were having a sale on a bunch of stuff and so I figured, you know, let me just pick up some cool dice and uh give them out to, to our friends. Oh, there is a one, I just rolled one. Jeff <laughs> Well no, but you got it out of the way. It's it's clear. Right. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> all right. Uh so Jacob, you had an item to bring in today, is that correct? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay. So uh, just a little bit of intro to it. I was running a, a Princes of the Apocalypse game a while back with some uh, some of my one of my D&D groups, and I had a cleric of Mask, which was really interesting because, right, it's a thief, and he wanted to be kind of like this shady character, but be a cleric of Mask. Yeah. And I was like, how do I come up with an item for this guy that's going to be relatable or useful? And so I came up with what I called the Coin Pouch of Mask, or it can be any world. It can be Bakub or... Um, Illidamara Illidamar, or whoever, you know, in your world sure, it is. Sure. So I have it down as a wondrous item, and I have it down as rare. Uh, that might be flexible, but I think it fits pretty well. So it's okay. an, a regular leather pouch with a drawstring. And when found, if you open it up and look inside, it has 1d4 plus 1 coins in it. And they're large. They're about the size of like a half dollar US coin size. Hmm. Uh, that's pretty big, but they wanted them to be a little bit different. Um, on one side, they have mask symbol or whatever god you decide to use for your world. And on the other side is a dagger. And as an action, the owner can reach into the bag, at which point there will only be one coin. You can't pull out more than one coin at a time. Mm -hmm. And they flip it. If the coin lands on the side with the mask symbol, the user can target a willing target within 20 feet and heal them for 2d4 plus 2 hit points. However, if the target accepts the healing, an amount of gold equal to the amount healed magically disappears from their inventory and cannot be prevented. If the recipient doesn't have enough gold to cover the cost, the coin is still consumed, but there is no effect. So if they're not carrying on their person enough coins for the heal, then they're not getting healed. Uh, if the result of the coin flip is the dagger, the user can choose a target within 20 feet, make a ranged throwing attack, adding their dexterity modifier to the attack roll. Uh, this is considered a magical attack for resistance or immunity effects. User is considered proficient, and the coin turns into a glittering dagger as soon as it leaves the user's hand, dealing 2d4 plus dex damage upon a successful hit. Uh, upon rolling damage, an equivalent number of gold magically disappears from the user's inventory. This cannot be prevented. If the user does not have enough gold to cover the cost, no damage is dealt to the target, but the coin is lost and the visual effect still occurs. Uh, once the pouch is empty, the owner can place gold in the pouch and leave it overnight. For every five gold placed in the pouch, one magical coin will appear the next morning, up to a maximum of five coins. 
Uh, all gold, even if more than 25 gold, magically disappears and is replaced with the magical coins. The coin value is always rounded down when determining how many new coins appear, and it cannot be refilled until all coins have been used. So, yeah, it's kind of a niche thing. It's a little bit kind of weird, but I figured I had a cleric of mask. I wanted to give them something that was sort of showing the divinity of their god while also allowing them to still be kind of shady and stuff like that. So there is the yeah. uh, pouch of uh, coin pouch of mask. There you go. Uh, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, I just, First off, I want to say that I love that you recharge the item by spending money. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's such an interesting mechanic. And now I'm like, well, why don't more items let you do that? You know, what I mean? you know, I was actually inspired by, if you look at the um, the lore of Mask, right, a lot of people will wear a little pouch that's meant to be stolen for Mask. It's kind of like a, an offering. Oh, okay. So that's familiar, I figured, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of like a play on that. It's just that as a cleric, right, he's offering his praise to Mask. Well, coins, it's it's very fitting for Mask. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really good. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah, there's the carrot up the carapalgical that's meant to be stolen. Yeah, again, that's so good. Yeah, I, I love that little bit of lore. It's good. <laughs> yeah. One one thought I had was uh, was it would be funny if like when you healed somebody and they lose the money, like you get the money, so you can kind of like <laughs> for, force people to to pay for your healing. I didn't think of it like that. That's, that's pretty good. That would be interesting. Yeah, that might be a different item altogether. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. It's just a uh, it is a it is a different item that like when you heal somebody, uh, you know they can uh, maybe it's like. You know, they get a, they can get a bonus to the healing, but if they accept that bonus, they have to pay that bonus to you, and it's and it's like it's it's just automatically transferred to the pouch or something. Sure. I'm thinking of a bard doing that. That'd be great. They're just playing the music, and it's like, hey, you want to heal? Let's go. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Once more on the the idea of like having to pay a resource in order to to recharge your magic items. That is making me think of. Um, maybe it's beyond the scope of this item, but like, imagine if there was a mechanic where in order to recharge one magic item, you had to temporarily give up another magic item. So like, let's say you have a plus one sword and you have a wand of, of cure light wounds, your wand runs out of charges. So if you, you can like give up the power of your sword, your sword becomes non-magical for like 24 hours. And in exchange, you can transfer that over to the wand and then the wand gets a few more charges or something. Hmm. I think that'd be really neat. You'd have to. I think you could play with attunement with that too, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, Maybe pull yeah. attunement for twenty four hours, and then you know to to refill all the charges. That's a pretty heavy cost, right? So sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I think that'd okay. be great. I mean, anything with costs. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like I said, that's kind of beyond the scope of this item, but maybe that's that's something I'll keep in mind for uh, you know when making new items for the future. Maybe I'll I'll play right. around with that a bit. Because like, how yeah. many items is it you can be attuned to at once? Like three. Three. I think. Three. Yeah. So yeah, you could just be like, you can give up attunement to one of your items, and in return, you can you can you know recharge up to five charges of a wand or something like that. So you give up sure, an sure. for a day. You give up attunement. You'd have to like reattune to it or something. Yeah. yeah. The next day. And that's pretty rough, right? If you got like magic armor or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it can wild. even be like other people can give up their attunements to like recharge a we- uh, oh. like recharge a wand or something like that. So like the party could be like pulling together their attunement or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, an artificer, even just something for an artificer to drop, because that's one of their big things, right? Because they get those abilities later on that bounce off their number of attuned items. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they get like extra attuned items too, don't they? I think so. They do. Yeah, they get yeah. six, I think, at the end. 
Jeez. If you make it to level 20, but... Right, right. right. Who does? <laughs> Who does? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just think this is a really cool item. I think that the, the theming is fantastic, and it's got cool, interesting mechanics that I've never seen anywhere else. So, good well, job. Thanks. Yeah, I like it. He liked it. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to, to say about this item? I do know there is uh, in Zelda, or at least one of the Zelda games, there's like a set of armor that you can get that you don't take damage if you're wearing it as long as you have sure. rupees. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Twilight Princess, I think. The, yeah. The, yeah. Ma- the magic armor from Twilight Princess. Yeah. Um, so like, <laughs> uh, yeah, like maybe even like something like an armor that gives you damage reduction that... You know, whenever whenever it reduces damage from an attack, it like you just you, like you just bleed money like like Sonic sure. the Hedgehog. <laughs> yes, yes. yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. They like uh, uh, armor of the ring bearer or something like that. You know, so, yeah. so, something silly like that. There's um in the first Zelda game, you didn't buy arrows or you didn't find arrows. Your whenever you shot an arrow, it just cost Took one rupees. rupee every time you every time you shot a. An arrow. <laughs> Yeah, that was rough in that game. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's kind of cool though. Sure. And in a game like D and D, it's I feel like it, like because at a certain point money be basically becomes meaningless. At least at least yeah. at like lower amounts. Well, but you still have to um, carry it. So like yeah, if you lost a gold, if you like fired a weapon, uh, you know fired an arrow and it cost you a gold, it's like at a certain point it's like whatever, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Well, there's a game. Um, it's a roguelike. Uh, you might have played it, game. I know you like these. Um. Enter the Gungeon? No, well, Enter the Gungeon's great. No, okay, but this I, is one... Okay, go on, go on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, I think it's just called Rogue Legacy is actually what it's called. Oh, okay. I, I have played that, yeah. Yeah, well, you get these random... You go to these shrines and you get random uh, blessings or curses. You never know what you're going to get until you click on it. Mm-hmm. One of them is the Curse of the Hedgehog. And obviously, yeah, you <laughs> right. get... Some, every time you get hit, all these coins just go flying. And it's just so ridiculous trying to catch them all. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, no, I was, yeah. was going to say there's another roguelike game, uh, Enter the Gungeon, where one of the guns that you can get is called the microtransaction gun, uh-huh. and your ammo for the gun is just however much money you have. So whenever you fire, oh. it costs you one unit of currency every time. <laughs> I haven't gotten that gun yet. That's great. I'll have to and keep looking. It's, it's kind of funny. If you're playing on PC, one of the ways to unlock the gun is to buy this one DLC that came out and then you just got it automatically. Whereas otherwise you could unlock it just through the games, you know, the games in game currently. That's so meta. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I, again, I just, I really like this item. I think that being able to uh, heal someone, but it costs a little bit of money or to be able to hurt someone, but it costs some money. It's just a cool mechanic and you don't see that anywhere else. So yeah. Well, thanks. So yeah. really like it. So once again, that was the coin pouch of mask submitted by Jacob here. Uh, thank you very much, Jacob. Yeah. Jeff, if anybody else wanted to submit magic items for the Dragon Sword or questions for our main segment or stories for the funeral pyre or retirement village, I think there is technically still time to do so. <laughs> Maybe not, listeners. <laughs> when you hear this, there may not be, but send it to us anyway. I'll enjoy hearing them. I'll, I'll enjoy reading them. How would they get those to us, Jeff? They can send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com or join us on our interparty discord at bit.ly slash interparty discord. And I mean, like, yeah, even when the show ends, still ask the questions, I guess. We like sure. we could still take the time to answer them. Yeah, absolutely. Or at least try. Yeah. <laughs> it just won't be in podcast form, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Watch, so, like in like three years, I release one episode and it's just me all like grizzled and exhausted <laughs> just being like, 
All right, so two years ago, I got a question. <laughs> what page are the what page are the weapon rules on? Uh, page yeah. eighty six. Thank you. Uh, see you next time. Anyway, <laughs> well, at that point too, we'll have the new books, so it won't even be the right page number. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, uh, so, um, Jacob, do you have an, an online presence you would like to tell our listeners uh, to look for? Yeah. Um, yeah, you can find me on uh, most social media as Jacob the GM, just all one word, J-A-C-O-B-T-H-E-G-M. I'm on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Discord. It's a little bit different on Discord, but I'm on Discord all the time. Uh, I'm also under, as a teacher, if you are uh, dealing with anything like that, I'm under Mr. Cassens, all written out, one word. So if you're looking at teacher okay. stuff, you can find me online with that. Um, also for, uh, pixel pop marketing, just pixelpopmarketing.com And I'm Jacob at pixel pop marketing. If you need to, uh, reach out or if you just want to say hi and see what's up, those are all ways you can get me. And yeah, I'll put all those in the show notes. So, uh, so if you need to, you can find those, uh, listed in, in text form on interpartyconflict.com. Thanks. All right. And, uh, I want to, we mentioned last episode that, uh, for our final final episode after episode 250 we're going to have an episode that's just kind of like uh, an after party i guess so we're going to be taking listener submissions if anybody wants to like send in some audio for us to listen to you can shout somebody out you can shout us out you can tell us about a cool thing that you want us to to look at or listen to or whatever um you can just tell a story you can uh hey tell us something to record for your for your gaming group and we'll say it on air and then you can cut out the audio in your own time and do whatever you want with it anything that anybody wants to submit for a final episode uh we'd love to include all of it so uh, just can we wish for more episodes you can wish for it but like (laughs) like wishing for more wishes it may not happen i just had to ask because i know people are gonna ask (laughs) so uh so yeah um just uh Send us anything that you want us to put on our final episode, and it'll probably make it on there. I, I plan on having a lot of big grab bag of fun stuff on our final episode. So so get those into us. Just email us at interpartyconflict.gmail.com. And then uh, just one more quick thing. Check out the other podcasts on the Crit Nation Fellowship. Check out Crit Academy at critacademy.com. Uh, it's a great podcast where the great guys over there, they make new and reusable content for players and DMs alike. They recently finished a Kickstarter for Extraordinary Expeditions, which is going to be a book of like adventures and stuff. And I backed on a Kickstarter level where uh, there's actually going to be some stuff in there that is heavily inspired by us. So uh, so keep an eye out for that when that uh, comes out sometime next year. I'm really excited for it. Um, so yeah, Crit Academy. Also check out Brute Force and Ignorance. They're an actual play podcast. Um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but thank you to Damien, who was a guest on our episode last week. Everybody go check out Adventures in Aurelia as well. Um, and then uh, the last two podcasts on the Crit Nation Fellowship, check out D&D Character Lab and the Kind GM podcast. So we got some great stuff for any kind of podcast listener. Go check it all out. Enough of all that. Let's get into some questions, Jeff. All right. Our first question comes from MRV73 on Discord, and they ask... What kind of things have people done to adapt 5e for kids? Yeah, um, I feel like we've touched on uh, running a, an RPG for kids in the past. I don't know if I had a ton to uh, to contribute then, but uh, you know, maybe maybe as a group we can come up with some stuff this time. Yeah, right. Um, Jacob, off the top, did you have any uh, any ideas that uh, you have either experienced or that you have thought to use in the future? Yeah, no, I've actually done this a bit. Um, I've run pop culture clubs and D&D clubs. Uh, some of the schools I've been at, it's <laughs> there's already somebody there that has like Battleship and Monopoly, and they call that Game Club, so I couldn't call my club sure. Game Club. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I had to call it Pop Culture Club. 
and then I just had everything in there. So yeah. um, I would run games and I'd have other students, you know, help students get started running games with 5e. And uh, I do want to point out, though, Gabe, I believe you had a whole episode where you ranted about uh, playing with kids. <laughs> well, my rant was about people who judge others for playing with kids. Right. My point was that it's okay to play with kids. That in and of itself is not anything there's nothing wrong with that it's when right. you make it weird that it becomes weird yeah, yeah no exactly yeah. Anyway. and as a teacher especially we we get things like this a lot where it's like oh well who's in the club and it's like kids <laughs> you know hey, kids kids are in the club <laughs> kids are in the club um but yeah so basically with dnd 5e the nice thing about it is that uh it's very approachable like uh, you can get somebody a character sheet and give them a d20 and they're pretty much good to go um especially if you take the time to get it done early uh, so what I've seen happen is just like when I was a kid, right? Again, I started young. I was like eight years old. So for me, I loved making characters. I loved, and this is back in basic D&D and AD&D editions, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a lot more complicated. Right. Um, but for now, what kids can do is they can step in and, and go, those kids that are interested, you want to sort of harness them and use them as sort of like a co-DM for a while and give them that benefit of working with you uh, to get them going. And usually it's not that they're not capable, it's that they're afraid because they've never done it, right? And it, yeah. it does take a lot as a DM to put yourself out there and take those risks. And uh, Gabe, you've talked about it before on the show, you know, uh, no matter how many times you do it, you're still nervous every time, even though yep. you're with friends, doesn't matter. Every time. Every time. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, are they going to screw up what I got? Am I going to be okay? And so with kids, it's amplified, right? So with yeah. 5e, I think one of the great things about it is that, first of all, pretty much every book that's come out has some kind of beginning adventure, some kind of beginning module. Mm -hmm. uh, you have all the modules on DMs Guild. But more importantly, there are websites and programs that allow you to uh, simplify the rules. Um, if you go to DMs Guild or DriveThruRPG, there's a bunch of supplements. I can't even name all of them. There are so many. But I'll, I'll uh, see if I can find some and put them in the show notes. Yeah, and afterwards I can pull them up. I've got the, the modules. I just don't have them here. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of the things with kids is that they just want to play a game. They don't want mm -hmm. to necessarily make 30 characters. They don't want to sit there and break down all the rules of D&D. They want to go break things and have fun and <laughs> do silly stuff, right? Sure. So uh, what I found with D&D 5th Edition is, again, pre-generated characters, kids, very good idea to start off. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is simplify it by basically at the very first time you play, you can focus on whatever you want to with your kids, but focus on, okay, this is your attack die. Make it the same for everybody, a d6, a d8, uh, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, yep. Give them a die. And then when they get into combat, it's like, all right, you're going to cast this spell, roll it, roll an attack roll, roll a d8. There's your damage. And what you'll find is the kids outside of that are able to create everything else on their own. It's, it's all about the imagination. And those kids have it in droves. They have pl plenty of imagination. They have um, not yet uh, experienced a world that has crushed their spirit and, and their, their uh, you know, sense of wonder. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly the, um, that's exactly the thing, right? And with teaching, that's one of the hard things, too, uh, is to reach them and make sure that they haven't given up their... Uh, freedom of, of willfulness, right? It's it's kind of something that they try to break out. Oh, you can't do that, right? But at the end of the day, the goal is to, with, with D&D and, and with everything, really, is to get them to go, hey, I can do this, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, I think that's the big thing is the big hurdle with kids isn't that they don't want to do anything. It's just that, first of all, there's a lot of rules. No kid wants yeah. to read that big of a book unless they're a total nerd like we were when we were kids. <laughs> right. And they just want to go play a game and, and roll dice and hit stuff. So you don't need to do anything crazy. You just need to have fun. And the other thing is, let them win. 
Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you don't need to have some crazy intense challenge. You don't need to have a complex backstory. There's a bad guy. They're attacking the town. Go take care of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. Stay focused. Um, keep it keep it lined up. And honestly, the kids that have played with my game groups, they start after I get one DM going, they'll usually go teach everybody else how to DM. And it just spreads. And it's it's amazing. Just let them do their thing. Cool. So yeah, I think that's my experience with it. Okay. So would you say that it's um, it might be rather than sticking really closely to like, these are the rules, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. Would it be better to pose more situations where you're asking the players, what what do you see? What you know, like you open the door and there's a monster. Hey kid, what monster is it? Or something um, like that. I think that depends on your age group. So I've taught high school and okay. middle school. I don't really work with elementary school kids so much. Um, I have before, but um, more recently it's been high school and middle school. Uh, with high school kids, yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, middle school, because clubs tend to have a mix of between sixth and eighth grade students, I think it's sure. easier if you just sort of describe what they see. Um, okay. Having miniatures is good, but just because at first they aren't going to know what to do. They're going to feel very lost because they're used to having things in front of them. Sure, um, sure. So yeah, I, th- I think that that would be my suggestion. I think with high school kids, though, for sure. When I taught at the high school and had the game club, those kids, they were playing D&D way more than I ever will. So, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a ton of experience playing with, with younger kids. I think the youngest kids I've ever run a game for were like middle school. And even then, it was only a couple times. I remember one of the times was, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned on the show a long time ago, I... Um, I was doing something at, not at my local library, but a different library a long time ago. And I was getting paid to come in and teach some kids how to, how to play the game. And then like the other two DMS that were supposed to show up just flaked out. And so I had like 12 kids that I had to, to explain the game to. And again, I'm pretty sure they were all middle school age. And with them, I didn't really focus on creating like an adventure. It was more, I sort of set the scene and then a bunch of monsters show up. And then I kind of just went person by person, you know, I had the role initiative or whatever. I went person by person and I just kind of asked them, what do you want to do? And then I gave them a couple minutes of focus and I made them feel really cool. Then, okay, they're done. I move on to the next person. And then I gave everyone like one good, solid turn of doing something cool. And then the encounter is over. Because by that point, like, you know, four hours had passed. Right. Of how D&D is. So, um, <laughs> So like, yeah, if I was going to, if I were doing like a more long-term game, I would probably have done it differently. I also wouldn't have, you know, 12 kids in the group, but I think uh, you did as well as you could have given the circumstances. I mean, uh, D and D is hard to, to lay out. And when you, when you weren't expecting that big of a group too, but I mean, really that's all you can do. And D and D is about at the end of the day, the fun of everybody involved, like you guys say all the time. And if they're having fun rolling dice and killing monsters, then great. And that's usually how we all kind of get started in it. And then we realize the depth of role play later. And uh, I think that's the thing too, unless you're working with theater kids or something, you know, it's, and and you know about that Gabe. you're much more, uh, (laughs) uh, but yeah, I think that you're right. I think you did as well as you could have in that situation as somebody who deals with a lot of kids all the time. It's (laughs) sure. Sure. So I was, I'm thinking, I was wondering about like, you know, if there were just some ways that you could kind of dumb down the rules a little bit in order to make them a a bit simpler for someone that's just, if you're giving, if you have like 20 minutes to show someone what D&D is, you know, someone who, who has no knowledge of the rules, a younger person, whatever. And one idea that I, that popped into my head was rather than dealing with, okay, you've got, uh, you've got this modifier to this skill, this modifier to this skill and so on. Fifth edition's advantage 
might be just a quick little shortcut. You could give someone two dice and say, okay, pick a few things that your character is good at. Uh-huh. And then they say, I want to be good at this. I want to be good at this and this. And then maybe ask them, what are some things your character is bad at? And then, okay, I'm bad at this, bad at this, bad at this. And then whenever they are encountering something that they are neither good nor bad at, have them roll a d20, just whatever the number says, that's whether they succeed or fail. If it's something that they're good at, have them roll both and it's with advantage. So the higher of the two, that's what they, just that flat number is what they go at. And then whichever things they're bad at, roll both, take disadvantage, and then so on. Again, not really D&D, but uh, if you just needed to just quickly get someone into, here's what a, you know, what rolling dice in order to succeed at a goal is like. Yeah. That's one way that you could do it without having to explain like, okay, well, so athletics is this, and then acrobatics is this, and then uh, yeah. persuasion is this, and then bluff is this, or whatever. I'm, I'm <laughs> mixing all my third edition terms in. There's a lot of rules. And you don't want to, you especially with little kids would not want to bog down the game with all of the rules, I think. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing at the end of the day is it's just like when I teach regular board games to people, right? Because I've done a lot of that for like Upper Deck and stuff like that. Um, When you teach new games to people, they don't want to know all of the intricate strategies to the game. They're just trying to understand how it works. Sure. And so you're not going to go through and go, well, if you had three more turns, you could do, you know, they don't want to hear it. Um, (laughs) But... At the end of the day, though, like you said, it's just getting them started on the idea of rolling dice. And you could break it apart, and the next time if they play again, add in you know the extra die rolls if you need to. Sure. Um, but yeah, I also found one of the games. I had it here. I forgot. Um, it's called No Thank You Evil by Monty okay. Cook Games. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. It does a good job of teaching kids how to um, uh, basically play the, di- the game. You roll dice, and everything's based on D6s for this one, just to keep it simple. Okay. But uh, your stats are like tough, smart, awesome. You know, it's pretty kid oriented because if you try yeah. to explain charisma to a kid, they're <laughs> it's, sure it's sure. gone. Um, but yeah, no, thank you, evil. And the other one's called Hero Kids that I could think of off the top of my head. Okay, um, which does the same thing. You have basic stats. They've simplified. You know, your your uh, physical stats, your intelligence and wisdom into mental stats, and uh, basically like a will stat of some kind. And mm-hmm. That way the kids just know, oh, I'm doing something physical. I'm running. Okay, well, you're going to roll the running dice or whatever. So, yeah, I think that that's the big thing. Yeah, I I actually think that that's something that's always neat to look at, like, newer rules light RPGs for. Because, for example, um, the Halloween, not this past Halloween, but the one before, we did an actual play where I ran a game of a horror RPG called Scream the Horror. Right, that was good. That, that's it's up on our even for people who are not patrons it, it went up this year on Halloween on our on our regular feed and in that game your stats are like rather than having okay you got strength dexterity constitution intelligence wisdom charisma and then you've got your skills you've got you know athletics you got acrobatics you've got deception you've got persuasion you've got whatever um and then oh there's also your your saving throws and so on there are six sta- I just held up the number three for some reason there are six <laughs> stats in this game sports cool, read, escape, attack, and mend. And each of those, there's like a five-word description of what that is. And that's pretty much it. And so, yeah, like with... That's one of the reasons that I think that D&D isn't always the best game for someone who is not used to playing RPGs because a system that theoretically, if it were just made from the ground up today, could be very simple like this, where you've got six stats and that's it. 
D&D is kind of beholden to having a lot of rules and then a lot of sub-rules and then a lot of interactions between rules and so on and so on. So it, it does do the game a bit of a disservice when you are trying to teach it to someone who, you know, may have a harder time following a lot of rules like kids. Well, and that goes back to teaching anything in general. And I found this teaching mm-hmm. board games, teaching as a teacher or whatever. Um, we've been playing for a long time, right? We've been playing yeah. D&D for years. So every time a new edition of D&D comes out, it's not like I have to relearn the basic concept. I just have to go look at what changed. And yeah. that's, you know, that advantage means that when I go and explain something, I'm taking for granted 30 years of knowledge that you sure, may not have sure. background in. So, oh, well, a D20. What's a D20? Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. I would never even think about that, right? So, yeah. Um, I think that that's the other thing where, and being a rules editor, for example, one of the things that I help with is basically stopping and going, okay, what if somebody's never rolled a die in their life? Like, how do yeah. we make this make sense? And so, I think that as a teacher, when you're teaching a new game like that, you'd really have to go, okay, you guys don't know anything? Cool. Here's a dice. This die is called this. This die is called this. We're going to go mm-hmm. attack somebody. Roll the die for attack. And that's how I introduced my son, actually, uh, was that. We, I basically got some miniatures, got a map, put his guy out there, and I said, hey, there's a guy over there with a the hood on. He looks scary. I'm going to attack him, you know? And then sure. that was it. And once he realized what he wanted to do, he was able to flesh it out from there. But yeah, yeah. again, kids have the imagination. We just need to get them rolling. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, we Jeff and I have a mutual friend, Steve, that uh, has been on the show before, and I've, I mentioned him many times. I was talking with him uh, a few months ago, and... He was telling me something that apparently his his mom has in recent years started playing a tiny bit of video games. Not like she's not like wow. getting into video games, but I think he got her to play Kingdom Hearts or something. <laughs> and yes. apparently she went through like half. I mean, I don't know if she actually got halfway through the game, but like she went quite a ways through the game before finding out that there was like a menu where you could like equip items and abilities <laughs> because we as gamers just assume we just know if you push the start button that brings up the menu you can probably if it's not the start button it's the triangle button or like the the x button or whatever on the xbox controller right and you can you can equip stuff and then use those abilities so like a lot of the time that's the first thing i do in a game is i got to try to find the equip menu right so she just didn't know that because she's never (laughs) played games before so that wasn't even on her mind she just thought okay this stick moves this button makes me jump this button makes me attack And then another thing that he was telling me was he had to explain to her when something poisons you, poison is a very slow decrease to your health. It's damage over time. We just know that in in D&D, generally speaking, that's a lot of the time that's what poison does. In video games, that's always what every poison (laughs) in every game is you take a little bit of damage every few seconds. That's just understood. That's just what games, that's just what poison means in games. Right. That's not what poison is in real life. I mean, like poison (laughs) does a ton of things in real life, but someone who's never had that vocabulary is not going to play a video game and hear the word poison and think, oh, okay, my health is slow. No, no, they're going to be like, oh, poison, where's the antidote? Where's the, the antitoxin? I have to find it. So there are just these things that we as gamers who have been playing for years and years, we just, we just assume these things. So that is a consideration when, you're playing with someone who has never had this experience before. So you you couldn't just tell, uh, you know, a seven or eight year old playing the game for the first time. You couldn't just be like, oh, uh, you're you're taking some some poison damage. Right. They might know what that means. They might not. You got to you got to then explain what that does mean. Or there is the risk that they're just it's just going to go completely over their head and not just because they're short. 
<laughs> well, and you bring up a good point because the other thing with that is all the monsters in D&D, some of them are based on myth, but most of them yeah. are pretty new. So when yeah. you start talking about, I don't know, just say with a Gorgon, right? The bull. Oh, <laughs> sure. They're going to look at you like, What's a Gorgon? And you're gonna be like, well, yeah. technically it's a Medusa, but we're not talking about Medusa. We're talking about the bull. <laughs> right. And you're gonna be right. like, wait, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Jeff, did you have anything uh, anything about how to adapt Five E for kids? I mean, nothing that nothing that's gonna add anything of of any good substance. Um, yeah. No, you guys, no, you guys did a really good job. And I mean, like, I, you know, uh, we we have an actual teacher in our midst, so who like who was, you right. know, who right. has experience, you know, dealing with children. <laughs> Like, you know, I just got, I just got uh, done with, you know, uh, being in a house with my, my cousins and they're very, or not my cousins, my nieces. I've been calling, I've been calling them cousins all weekend because they're my dog's cousins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because my dog is my baby. I love her so much. Okay. Um, sorry. But, uh, I, I always like to think of myself like, yeah, I'm probably really good with children. Cause like I, I can understand where they're coming from. Cause like, I hate, I hate authority and rules and things like that. And then I get around kids and I'm like, Oh, dang it. Kids. Like I, I become a crotchety old man when kids are around, but when they're not around, I'm like, yeah, I'm totally on their side. I'm one of them. So, uh, yep. yeah, like I, I like, you know, I always say like, try to try to remember, like, like try to try to keep, treat kids as like they're humans because they are <laughs> like, yeah, that's huge. Treat kids yeah. with respect. Like, cause as easy as it is to dismiss them, like, like they, they're people, they have feelings. They're going to remember things. They're going to resent you. They're going to, you know, like, yeah. and like they'll be more vocal about it too. So don't be mean to them. <laughs> Otherwise they'll tell everybody. <laughs> just like, no, no, just as long as you don't get caught calling them, like being mean to them. You're all right. <laughs> right, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but no, no, but seriously, but like you know, treat treat them like people because that's what they are. They're just yeah. smaller, dumber people, but they're not dumb because they're you know they're they're ignorant in the way that you're ignorant when you don't know things. Exactly. Like thing. yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. Like I, you know, uh, like and I and I've been trying to teach myself this that like there really aren't dumb and smart people. There are curious and incurious people. You know, like. Mm-hmm. And it, and it all depends on like the subject too, because it's like I can sure. be I can I'm a complete idiot on some things, and I'm fairly smart on others. And so like kids just like haven't gone through all the things that they've decided are that they're curious about and incurious about. So like I don't know. I, I'm I'm sort of no. Rambled. Well said, Jeff. I mean, you should become a teacher with that kind of philosophy. You've got it nailed I, down. There you go. <laughs> I I did I did originally go to uh, college to uh, well. Not originally, but one of one of the one of the my attempts at uh, higher learning was to become a teacher. Oh, there, you go. there you go. You might say, in many ways, we were all kids once, <laughs> both both literally and figuratively. They, all they, of us had a time when we <laughs> were learning the game for the first time. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. And yeah. I'm sure I asked a lot of stupid questions. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so somebody else yep. is allowed to ask me some stupid questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think, Jeff, you made a good point. The fact that not just that they're people, but that questions aren't stupid in this case, because, again, we, we're bringing in all this stuff with us. And for those kids to go, yeah. oh, what's an orc? You can't be like, you an idiot? You don't know what an orc is? No. <laughs> right, right. You've never seen Lord of the Rings or, <laughs> you know, you've never played World of Warcraft or. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm still not convinced I know what an orc is. <laughs> It keeps changing. <laughs> yeah. 
Sometimes they're pigs. Sometimes they're not pigs. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, that's true. It's like, so yeah, sometimes they're like <laughs> pig-like. Yeah. I don't know. Like the yeah. like moblins in, in Zelda. Yeah, like, yes. Exactly. It's like, what's up? And there's moblins and bacoblins. Have there always been that difference? Or when did the, when did the, oh, when did the bacoblin no. become a thing? No, I think yeah. that's a new thing. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. I'll um, die on that hill. <laughs> one more thing that, I, that just occurred to me that you can use to help adapt 5e for kids. Find out what uh, pop culture the kids are into and then find analogs in D&D. If they yep. really like the Legend of Korra, oh, the monk, that's, you know, that's kind of like the martial artists in this cartoon that you like and right. stuff like that. Find find things that they like because I guarantee you every D&D archetype is in some way represented in whatever shows and games and such the kids are already playing. So. And most kids today are into anime, so there's plenty of places yeah. to pull uh, pull those similarities from. See, yeah. I I have trouble relating to my nieces because like they they don't have like a favorite show. They just watch all of YouTube, and it's kids YouTube, and it's just it's awful. I Sorry, Jeff. It. Are we talking about your dog's cousin nieces or the other <laughs> yeah, nieces? My, I just <laughs> no, my, <laughs> no my my my, nie- my nieces who are my dog's cousins because my dog is my child. I am I am dog. Hi. Um, <laughs> No, I just like you know, it's like my my youngest my youngest niece like or not my youngest niece because my sister had a baby recently. Uh, <laughs> Nothing you're saying is accurate. <laughs> yeah, I just I keep I keep yeah. Um, so yeah, no, like they don't like they don't have like a favorite show like you know they'll they know like movies that they like you know like Frozen or whatever. It's like sure. yeah, okay, so I guess you could like maybe equate that like you can be a wizard and have like ice powers like like <laughs> Elsa in Frozen or please, something. Please, so, Jeff, she would be a sorcerer. Mm. Yes, I know, Gabe. Shut up, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I just had no, to I'm be kidding. that guy. For no, a you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but, you're, but you know, it just it's in simple terms. In simple terms for 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 a child, it's like you can you can wield magic like Elsa in in mm-hmm. in Frozen. But lately, it's just like they just watch like YouTube video, and then whatever whatever's next on the algorithm they watch, and so it's just like unboxing videos and things like that. It's Jeff, like, just just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. But I just, but I want them to, I want them to, to be into things that I can turn into nerd, nerd stuff. Like I need, like I need my, you know, <laughs> I need yeah. my sister's offspring to be nerds. <laughs> just so, just so I could be like, see, see what it's like. <laughs> Uncle Jeff, I don't want to go to the game store. <laughs> you're going to come in here and you're going to buy some dice and you're going to like Yeah, it. I'm going to give you a set of dice and you're going to like it. <laughs> I'll get you the ones that look like look, uh, that are like uh, look like ice from like like from that like, stupid Disney thing you like. Well, you know what they have now, Jeff. They have My Little Pony D and D sets with the die in it and everything. You may end oh. up playing. <laughs> there you go. I was gonna say, um, get them uh, one of those metal D twenties that I got you because then they'll get twenties all the time. Right, they'll yeah. just always be winning, and it's like yeah, and then they'll go through life thinking it's that easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the the, the lies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our next question comes from Fingers Fate on email, and they ask, what do you think of role-playing a world or game session without the racism that seems cooked into the very crust of D&D? Yeah, so like we've had, I think we had an episode a long time ago that was about um, how do you get across to your players that an evil race isn't necessarily the bad guy? 
or something. Mm. Yeah. This is a, a slightly different idea. This is like, how do you just kind of create a world where those preconceived notions either don't exist or like have to be proven before they can be assumed, I guess. Right. It, like, it, and I do think not too long ago we sort of touched on because like D&D, I know, uh, or, like Wizards of the Coast wanted to like move away from like more the like more like yeah. racial differences right, right. Um, in the like the player races and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, like all orcs are stupid kind of thing. It's like, well, right. you know. It is hard. It's it's an uphill battle because so much kind of like how just you know what orcs are because of all the media that they've been in. You also know, know that orcs are uh, savages, you know, they're brutish savages because all of the media that has portrayed them ever portrays them as brute savages. Right. And like because even like through Tolkien and stuff like that, like they, you know, there, there was some at the very least loose, like, you know, uh, like he was loosely basing it off of like racist, you know, ideas on, you know, other, and uh, other people like, and it, mm-hmm. it, you know, maybe it might not be explicitly racist intended, but it's, yeah, it is, it is a, it is a racist view of other cultures that creates these that have created these sort of ideas right yeah i've actually heard i don't know if this is accurate or not maybe this was just something somebody made up in order to i don't know defend jr or something (laughs) but what i've heard is that technically orcs were meant to be a metaphor for like the german blitzkrieg like just because this it was during world war ii if i'm not mistaken or like right around world war ii and so tolkien was was physically dealing with just the endless armies of nazis that would show up and you know, just destroy everything on their path. That being said, there are a lot of people who apply the concept of orcs as a metaphor for other races, for other things, and so on. Right. So and, it and, you it know, can yeah. be problematic. And he, he definitely could be taking it from, you know, several different sources. And yeah. Like, you know, and like, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm super familiar with like the text for, you know, like I saw the movies, you know, like I never, <laughs> I never, like I read the books, but like, they did not grab me as much as the movie did because I'm more of a, you know. That hurts my soul, Jeff. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, I like I just I I was never I was never a uh, attentive reader, but uh, you know I yeah so like you know I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I know exactly what you know what what uh, uh, Jr's uh, his intentions were. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I don't know if you watched the movie uh, Tolkien came out a little while ago. No. Uh, a couple of years. It's actually really good. It does a lot to sort of explain his his process of writing and going through it and everything, the languages, mm-hmm. the orcs. Yeah. Uh, it's got this really powerful scene where he's actually in World War One, where he participated and he's in the trench and he's sort of having this flashback. But in the flashback, instead of, uh, you know, the soldiers, it was basically an orc on a wolf. You know, it's like this is the image that he's getting. Uh, OK, um, yeah. this everything's so savage. Right. And it's not that he's saying that a people in general are savage. He's saying that war is savage. Sure. Mm. And I think that that's the thing with the orcs is they're not necessarily savage. They're just in a war. They're, they're in a state of being driven by Sauron to destroy all these things. And yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to the question, it's racism is really tough because, and this is something I I've worked with as a teacher. Um, my master's degree is actually in multicultural education. So, um, but one of the things with this, that's really important is that, 
I think that to try to get rid of racism in the D&D world is, is probably not the best solution because one of the things we do as people is we try to, like, we call it whitewashing, right? And it's, sure. in this case, it could be literal, but it's not necessarily literal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't want to pretend like these things don't exist because they exist and they're going to exist. And when you pretend mm-hmm. they don't exist, you're, you're eliminating the conversation. And right. that is where the people who want to maintain the status quo maintain power. Mm-hmm. So I think like Eberron and Keith Baker has talked about this in some of his blogs and stuff, but in Eberron, I think it's as close as you're going to get because there are orcs, there are goblins, there are dragonborn, there are everything out there and they're just kind of part of the world. Now, there are groups of them that get isolated and ostracized, yeah. but yeah. you know, just because that guy's an orc doesn't mean he's, oh, he's not one of those Takan orcs, he's one of these other orcs from the demon wastes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about where you're from and that goes into... I think instead of focusing on race, you can focus on nationalism again, like Eberron does. Okay. Uh, you know, because mm-hmm. in Eberron, it, your core language and your core culture isn't what race you are; it's wherever you happen to be from. So, yeah, that's you true. know, if you're from Sharn or Brayland or whatever, it's oh yeah, well, I, I speak, you know, I speak for Brayland. Brayland needs to maintain control. You're a yeah. dwarf. That's so <laughs> right. Like a, a huge part of of Eberron is the the refugees from Sire, this country that was blown up. Uh, And every time I've read about, you know, people being prejudiced against the refugees, it doesn't even mention what race they are. Maybe sometimes it does, but it's not about that they're an orc or that they're an elf or a dwarf or whatever. It's that they're from this country that people either don't like or they think got what they deserved or just they're just these people that are they're all suffering. And so that's why they're they're doing what they're doing, I guess. Yeah, so. and I think that's that's one of the things that Eberron did really well. I think Forgotten Realms has a lot more of the tropes. Um, mm-hmm. If you go into, especially in Northern Forgotten Realms, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the lore, but Northern Forgotten Realms like Icewind Dale, it's uh, pretty much just constantly being bombarded by orcs. And there's not a distinction in Forgotten Realms, like, oh, it's it's these orcs. No, no, it's just the orcs are attacking. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> so it's that's pretty... Like, <laughs> it's a very, very like Warhammer 40k version of orcs, where it's just yeah. like, the, like, there is the orcs, and they are <laughs> going to fight, and that's just all they do. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and 40k orcs are fascinating, because they basically have this sort of tie to chaos, where they can just sort of think something, and it works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I, I I love or I love forty two orcs. They're, they're some of my favorite. They're some of my favorite or- versions of orcs. Yeah. It's so great. It's like, how do you have a gigantic mech that works? I don't know. I it's, believed it did, and it, there it just, is. Yeah. I just I built it. Yeah, like, yeah, the forty yeah the forty k orcs have like the closest like connection to like the psychic realm or whatever it's called the war. Yeah. So they just they they are the most like psychically powerful race, but mm. they don't really know it. <laughs> like they just. <laughs> They just, just they just believe in something and it happens and it's be, and it happens because they have this like this such a such a deep connection to the the psychic abilities of the universe or whatever. Yeah. That and I just I, I love I, yeah I love I love them so much they're they're ridiculous. <laughs> well, and I was gonna say taking that back to the story, I think that's what we look at in our world, right? Look at these games. All these games are delineated by race, and it's um Warhammer 40k it's not like this is a culture it's literally the humans in 40k hate all the aliens they call them xenos and they just want to kill them all right sure and that's that's part of the conversation but their world is intentionally meant to be dark and not good so when you look mm-hmm. at that it's not meant to be a model of what you should be um whereas in D&D it's different because that model we're the heroes right we should be above yeah. these things and um but i think in D&D getting back to the question where it says uh 
role-playing game sessions without the racism, I think that you could do this by playing a game where everybody's one race, right? They're humans or dwarves or whatever, and sure. just have them play that race and not run into anybody else for a while and watch what the players do. And it could be a good way to have a conversation. But at the same time, I think that most people, and this is just me being blunt, most people don't have the actual intuitive sensitivity to race to actually do that maturely. Um, okay, yeah. Because it's going to turn silly at some point, and then it's mm-hmm. got, you're going to cross a line. But I think that's something to look at yourself with. Um, if you're doing that. Um, but the other way of this is just having everybody be racist. I don't, in my games, I don't try to make the racist stand out for anything, really, um, unless it's important okay. to a plot point. Uh, yeah. And it's not because I'm trying to be better than anybody else. It's just that I, I don't want to remember all the races and stuff. It gets really hard as a DM to, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that Johnny over there is the dwarf barmaid, but but Junie over there is a human barmaid. And I... I don't want to remember all that. So it's a barmaid. It's a whatever. Focus on the first. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but I think that that's another way you can do it is just have it not be a thing. And Eberron gives you a good place to start, I think, for that. Um, Ravnica is another setting. I was just telling Gabe earlier, I was reading that one. Um, which which guild you belong to matters more than what your race is. Like, it's sure, yeah. irrelevant. And Jeff, you play Magic, so you see that a lot in the different cards. You can have anybody from anywhere being in pretty much any guild, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what you just said, Jacob, makes me think that like when it when I'm running a game and I do mention I don't I don't mention I feel like I don't mention an NPC's race often. When I do, I'm just doing it as a shorthand instead of having to describe what they look like. Right. I'm just using that as a shorthand for like, oh, so it's a dwarf, so they're short, they're stocky, they probably got hair all over. Sure. I'm not necessarily trying to make it about their race. It's just, if I can say what they look like in one word, as opposed to in like 10 words. Yeah. Yeah. But, but whether, whether that is the best approach or not, Hey, I could, that, that could be problematic in, you know, in ways, if anybody thinks that it is, I'd love to, love to hear about it. I'd love to hear a better way to do it. I, I, and I think that's the problem, right? Even, even just going around when you look at like all the jokes about police sketches and stuff, right? It's like, yeah. Oh, well, um, the Peter Griffin did one, uh, on family guy one time. It was, like he's asking the person what they look like and he ended up just drawing like a very racist, stereotypical um, Asian person on his okay. sheet. Uh, Family Guy was, was lampooning the idea that one of the first questions they ask you is, oh, uh, what did they look like? And then you don't want to say, oh, they were, they were Asian or they were black or they were white or whatever. Sure, sure. And the thing is, at the end of the day, that's who we are, right? I, I'm white. I'm, I'm white male. Uh, yeah. I think that I think there's a point where you can cross a boundary of being too sensitive about it. But that's mm-hmm. me saying this from a privileged position. Sure. Um, but I think on the other hand, if you don't acknowledge it and you don't use it as part of your your description, you're, you're taking out something that actually makes us unique at the same time, right? We're mm-hmm. all different. And uh, I think, like I'm Basque. I don't know if you guys know what that is. It's a specific culture of people. Um, okay. But most people don't know who we are. So most of the time they're like, oh, you're white. But I'm like, actually, I'm Basque. And my country has been controlled since ancient Rome. They've been fighting for their freedom over there for right, right. thousands of years. <laughs> but um, but that's something that, you know, when you look at somebody, you never know, right? You mm-hmm. never know what's going on in their background. You never know what's going on. But if you say, you know what, they had Asian features. Okay, there are Asian features. They had, yeah. uh, you know, they had a darker skin tone. Okay, because I don't know if, you know, they might be, like my wife is Filipino and some of her family is very dark skin. If you saw them from the side or back, someone might go, oh, that person was black. And it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right, well, now you've basically made a broad generalization without taking the time to look for other features that could have been more sure, sure. more valuable. But in D&D, like you said, um, 
because we're painting a picture with words, and if you look at authors as well, um, there's not really much better way to do it. We have to sort of acknowledge those things right off the bat because yeah. that's how we see it. And yeah. again, I don't know if there's a right answer either. As a historian, uh, my, my undergraduate degree is in history. Uh, I know that when I was writing my uh, one of my theses, it was about Native Americans. And I had a hard time because I had to use the term Indian a lot. And I was like, is this okay to use? Sure, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm consulting people and talking to people, Native American scholars. And they go, you're talking about a historical period of time. It's okay to use it. Right. And, you know, but if that that scholar says it's okay, but I might run into somebody who says, no, that's not. You know, you're never going to make everybody happy <laughs> at the end of the day. Right, yeah. Um, what you've been saying, I think, really explains why there was such a push with uh, with starting with fourth edition, but then also with uh, like fifth edition and Pathfinder second edition and so on to get rid of the um, the negative modifiers, negative ability score modifiers. Yeah. I never really put much thought into it until just now when we're talking um, by taking away the negatives. What you're doing is you're saying it's not that some of us are worse at things than others. You're just saying we all have something to contribute. We all have something that makes us valuable to society, to each other. And it is, I, I, I'm going to take a hard stance here and say that it is better to focus on the good than to focus on the bad. I know, I know that's uh, such a controversial opinion, but hate mail's coming. Think of it like that. Cause I've, I've heard lots of people say they don't Oh, I, I don't like how they're getting rid of all the negative modifiers or whatever. But like, if you look at it as we're all here, we're all playing heroes so what are the things that your hero is really good at? Mm. Yep. Th that's, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And I think that what's really cool too, I don't know if you read all the updates, but they're getting rid of size categories, right? They're, they're saying okay. generally whatever, but could be small, medium, uh, not large for most races, but some can like Dragonborn and stuff. But yeah. so they've done that for a couple of them. They did that for Intasha's. They did that for uh, something. I don't remember which one Intasha's, but um, in the new Wild Beyond the Witchlight, the Herringon can be either small or medium. It's your choice. Um, the fairies. Yeah, I mean, it's... And it makes sense, right? Because there are really tall dwarves. We have to imagine there are, right? <laughs> yeah. There have to be. And so when you think about what someone could look like, I think that it helps us get out of that homogenous view of people. And people, I mean, all peoples. And gives you an understanding that just like any person can be different, that any person amongst those people can be different, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think if you go back to D&D &D or even World of Warcraft, right? You look at the orc males, they're these big buff dudes walking around and the orc females are scrawny. Yeah. But it's like, what? What? No. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, so it covers a lot of boundaries. But yeah, I think that I, I think the big thing is at the end of the day, so long as your intent is good and you're being mature about it and you're not allowing racial uh, issues to cause concern at the table... I think that's the best you can do. Um, yeah. You know, we're only people. We're, we're only human. And it'll probably be generations before we get past this, you know, as, sure. as a culture. But um, I think we've come a long way. And I think that to deny that is is taking away the growth that we've found. And um, I mean, just the fact that my wife is Filipino, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. there's a time and place where that wouldn't have been okay, you know, in sure. our country. So um, right. I think we've come a long way. And I think that to, sh to say that we haven't is hurtful to that growth, but also... We still have a long way to go. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So so really the answer to the question is play Eberron. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I am hundred percent behind that. Yeah. Or I mean, Ravnica. Eberron. Play Ravnica or Eberron. <laughs> there you go. Eberron, yeah, Eberron's Eberron's great. Eberron's great. Yeah. Got Warforged. You know, when it came out, I remember they did the contest and I was just like, when I saw the art, you didn't tell you anything, you know, it was just a robot basically. I was like, 
Why do we yes. have robots in D anD? I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> um, but then when it came out, I read it. I was like, this is amazing. It's so uh-huh. good. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm sure. Hit on the it. robots, whatever. Well, man, I just you know, at the time I was young, and you know how you're much more convi- convinced that you're right when you're young because you haven't sure, experienced yeah. the world. Right. I'm like, no, D and D is swords and wizards and clerics, and what is this yeah, new yeah. class? That's stupid. Get rid of it. Um, but you know, and as you get older, you learn to see that gr- everything's gray, not black and white. And uh, sure. but no, once you get into Eberron, it's not that robots are in there. It's just that Keith Baker and the team did such a good job of making everything fit and have yeah. a purpose. And I think that that's where we run into a lot of problems with D&D. It's like, well, orcs are, what are orcs going to be if they're just, if they're not just the bad guys? It's like, people? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> oh no. What a, what a strange <laughs> and unusual concept. Right, and there's plenty of beasts and other things out there for you to attack and and deal with and, and so on. So if it's a humanoid race, then make it a humanoid race. Make it have all the, the good and the bad and um, and yeah. I think part of the problem with that is that humans have always been so bland until recent editions. I think that they've done a good sure, job of making sure. them less bland. So, All right. Well, I, I think that'll do it for our regular questions for this week. Uh, but we do still have our social media questions. Our last social media question was, your character has to help you move. Are they going <laughs> to help you, hinder you, or something else entirely? Uh, Jacob, did you have uh, did you have a response to this question? Yeah, I, I thought about using my character from your uh, Roll20 game, but uh, I've been playing in a Star Wars uh, RPG game, and I have a character named Azuli who's a Togruta. And sure. Togruta, the whole world is built on like art, and everybody's an artist of some kind, uh, just because that's their culture. Not not because they are all like that. but mm-hmm. um, And so I just see my character stopping going, oh, are you really going to put that there? And judging me every step of the way like as I put it there. He's like, this really would look better in the other room, you know? And I just see him yeah. like, like attacking my, my decisions of placement. It would help me, but they would also get in the way of finishing the job quickly. Sure, sure. <laughs> but once you were done, your feng shui would be amazing. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, Jeff. Do you recall if you had uh, if you had an answer? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he'd be like thrilled about it. But uh, <laughs> Krill uh, uh, is uh, li- lizard folk, so probably doesn't really quite understand the uh, like the purpose of a lot of a lot of like f- like the different types of pieces of furniture and stuff like that. But he's just like, sure. but he has like you know decent enough strength score, can climb, so maybe he can like be you know help carry stuff upstairs easier. I don't know. Yeah. So. He'd be helpful. Um, I don't. I just don't think he'd be like thrilled to do it. Sure. He's the guy who can climb uh, up the rail and get behind the couch after you've pushed it up halfway. Right. You've, <laughs> wet, you've wedged it, and you're like, "Oh man, yeah." Uh, and uh, my character in that same campaign is uh, is a half orc paladin, and uh, she's very strong, so she would help in carrying things. However, she tends to almost die basically all the time, so she's a liability. I have a feeling something bad would happen. <laughs> The couch would fall on her. And, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, over on Facebook, Jake F says, uh, I think it's pronounced how cat or how a cat would cast bless on me and sit in the cleanest corner of the apartment, making wry backhanded comments on my performance. If I did a good job, he would order lunch for both of us with my credit card. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Darren W says, knowing the characters I have, Malik will attempt to help, but with his luck, he will break more stuff than move. John, being a former soldier, would set a regimented order until someone gave him ale and sat him in a corner. <laughs> Nefriana, being a high elf sorcerer, would probably put everything in a portable hole or several bags of holding and just make life difficult. My <laughs> wife's rogues would just steal it all and leave me with naught. 
There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of different uh, lots of different characters with lots of different approaches. <laughs> Over on Reddit, Alistar the Minotaur says, of the three characters I'm currently playing, Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho <laughs> would easily be the most helpful as he's in incredible shape and would take carrying most of furniture individually as a challenge. Hold on, I need a, I need a second after that. <laughs> That was a name. Oof, I could okay. be wrong, but I think part of that is a reference to the movie Idiocracy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. President Camacho. Um, and uh, Echo X9, my android, would also help ensuring that everything was stacked in the most structurally stable way possible. Wenzel, the inconvenience, would pour soapy dishwater all over the floor and then cackle manically when people slipped. <laughs> We've all had characters like that, I think. Yeah. Uh, over on Twitter, uh, Storytime Professional, this is Dustin, says, Professor Von Guggenheim would disassemble and, quote unquote, upgrade my stuff. <laughs> I don't think my stuff is going to make it intact. <laughs> that was his character from our previous Roll20 game where he would make gadgets that were intended to do one thing but ended up being weapons. Sure. You know, like yep, uh, yep. A, a sugar dispenser that was his ranged weapon. <laughs> Pez. (laughs) (laughs) Offensive Pez. Over on Discord, Debrasaur says, So I invited my character over to help me move, but I somehow ended up helping her move into my new house. What just happened? (laughs) Where are my things? Collins B says, Kongu has no useful force powers for moving, and Tantawan devolved into a four-hour diatribe about what constitutes a table. (laughs) Or a hot dog. So I recently, the other day, I re-listened to our dinner party conflict episode. Uh-huh. I don't remember what made me think of that, but just I, I, I wanted to listen to that. So I went back and I listened to that. That is, I'm going to strongly say that is one of the best episodes we've ever made. <laughs> it's the one that's not even about. There's a, point, there's a point where Jeff said, a hot dog is closer to a salad than a sandwich. <laughs> and like... Oh, I got. I, I got nothing. That? That's I some of the best audio ever. <laughs> Amazing. I. I. Oh, I gotta go. I, yeah, I gotta go clip that audio. Okay. Awesome. That should be your ringtone, Jeff. <laughs> Hot dog is closer to a salad than a sandwich. Yeah. That's amazing. Good job, past me. <laughs> Good job, past Jeff. Yes. Uh, Stiltskin Cooper eighty four says Itai of the Lojax Mountains could probably move everything without a partner but he'd have trouble squeezing through my human-sized doors, and he'd risk crushing anything fragile enough for a Goliath's hands to crush on accident. So everything. (laughs) Yeah. Two more, Wolfpack Nate says, For my character, we'll go with Alvard since he was in the IPC campaign, and I have like 40 so far on D&D Beyond. He'd definitely be a huge help being a Goliath. And Floofy Shoop says, My character's from a superhero game, so yeah, easiest move ever. (laughs) Fair enough. So that was our last social media question. Thank you, everybody who wrote in. Our next social media question is, gaming-wise, what is something you are thankful for this year? Jacob, what do you got? Well, I, I mean, I'm going to give the answer for the show that you paid me to do and say Interparty Conflict. But, uh... <laughs> okay, thank you. Here's, no, but... here's your 20 bucks. I'll just slide that through the, through the webcam. No, but really, um, I think I'm grateful for... Uh, the ability that we have to communicate like this, um, yeah. this past year, uh, over the internet, through uh, Discord, uh, podcasts, all of that stuff. Because uh, you know, when I was growing up in the '80s, <laughs> we 
<laughs> if this happened then, I would not have been able to play D&D. I wouldn't have been able to do anything. And uh, I've been able to basically keep running D&D games pretty much nonstop through the, through the pandemic and lockdown. Um, Hawaii's got more severe lockdowns than a lot of places still. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, we're still, you know, mandated small groups and masks and stuff like that everywhere. Meanwhile, Michigan has the worst numbers in the entire country, and we have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my friends, uh, my friend just had his buddies come over. He grew up in um, close to Flint. I can't remember the town he grew up in. It's a small town. Sure. Um, but his buddies just came from Michigan, and they came to Vegas. And Vegas is about half and half. And uh, mm. <laughs> he said that they came in and they're like, oh, we have to wear masks? <laughs> it's like, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep it classy, Michigan. Yeah. Oh, but, um, but yeah. And I think that uh, over the past year, though, the, the ability to connect online has been the big thing. Um, uh, getting digital content for games has been amazing. Um, Roll20, mm-hmm. Foundry, all of these new tools. Uh, but yeah, having, having a community that has been built over podcasts, a digital platform to communicate and keep growing the gaming industry, uh, not industry mm-hmm. so much as a community, yeah. uh, it's been amazing. And so IPC is part of that, obviously. And if you guys aren't on the Interparty discord, get on there. It's great. Um, yes. come hang out. Uh, but yeah, just IPC, uh, Crit Academy, all the podcasts I've been listening to and, uh, all the digital content I would say I'm grateful for with gaming. Cool. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Um, yeah, I'll kind of piggyback off of that just because, yeah, like it is it is really nice to be able to like be still be in contact with uh, everybody. And like mm-hmm. I will also say I'm thankful for um, uh, I'm thankful for Gabe and my friends and my other friends, oh, Steve shucks. and Jay and how we're <laughs> able to like get together once a month at, online and and play some tabletop games. And yeah, like, you know, like there we would always joke, uh, you know. In, in in our time on this podcast, we always joke at like how we never play the game. We always we talk <laughs> yeah. about it every week, but it's we true. can't find to actually sit down and play it. And like, you know, this past year, you know, we've been making you know we've been making steps to playing more often, and and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like we play at least at least at least once a month. I'm playing a game, so I'm yeah. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I remember um, when. Like when we were, you know, we'd been out of high school for a couple of years. We played, you know, we played D and D in person every week, basically yeah. every week. Yeah. And then we all kind of started moving apart. I know like, uh, Steve moved away and then like Jay moved away and then I moved away and we had tried in the early days of, of like internet role-playing games. We had tried to set up some sort of like way that we could play remotely, but at that time there just wasn't a way to do it. And yeah. so it, it ultimately went nowhere. And yeah, this year, the four of us for the first time have actually been able to get a, a consistent game <laughs> and it's fantastic. I think it's, it's so cool. I like you, Jeff, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Thankful that it's possible. Other people have been doing it for years. It's so cool that I'm thankful that more people have been getting into the hobby as a result. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely thankful for that. But of course, I'm also going to get sappy and I'm going to say that I am so thankful for uh, for this podcast and for the community that has risen up around it. I'm thankful for Jacob for, for, yeah. being, for being a listener, for being a supporter, for being a, a guest host. And of course, I am super thankful for Jeff. Jeff has been my my wonderful co-host for the last almost five years. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I just, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And, uh, I don't know if either of us knew what we were getting ourselves into five <laughs> years ago when we started, but, uh, it's been, it's been a wild ride and I'm, I'm super thankful for that. So thank Aww, you, Jeff. Thanks. 
You know, I want to point out too, I think that, um, I know Gabe, you're kind of like the face of the podcast, but uh, Jeff, I want to say like, you are, you guys both are so important to this podcast. Like it's the team of you that makes this so amazing. Um, well, good. Yeah. I, I've, I've said to Jeff, like, I do not consider, I consider us equals in every way. I mean, sure. I do a lot more like the editing and stuff, but like, if I didn't want to, I'm sure Jeff would. I, I do it because I want to. I do it because I, I tend to micromanage stuff. So that's on me. <laughs> you know, and like you, you, you hold yourself in such high standards. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. that, you know, I would feel I would feel nervous about. Uh... Oh, he doesn't hold you in high standards, Jeff, just himself. But there you go. But I but I hold myself to high standards as well. And like, I, but and then there's also the added like the, the added pressure of like, well, I don't want to let Gabe down. Like, I really <laughs> want to let Gabe down. Like, who'd, who'd want to do that? Sure. Is this where we see the dark side of Gabe when you turn in something missed an audio cue or something? And- <laughs> the, the reason Jeff doesn't want to disappoint me is because he knows what happens. <laughs> Are you going to pull like a misery thing, put the block between the ankles? And- oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. That, that is this still, got dark real fast. I'm that sorry, still, Whenever I think of someone getting upset with someone for their, their creative work, I think of misery. Yeah. It just pops into my head. It's just, oh. <laughs> yeah. Now so, we know why so- the, the podcast is ending. <laughs> Oh goodness. oh, goodness. All right. <laughs> On that note, I, I, again, I'm just, I'm super thankful for all of our listeners, all the people who have been willing to pay us money for several of the last five years. Uh, it's just, it's, it's such a humbling thing. And it's so awesome that, uh, that people like what we do so much. So thank, thank you listener for being here. So I think that'll do it for our questions for today. But before we close out, let's uh, let's wind down a little bit. Let's relax. Let's take a deep breath. <sighs> let's remember those who have come before us, who have given their lives that we may have a better world to live in as we toss another log onto the funeral pyre. So, Jacob, you have a, a funeral pyre story for us today. Yeah, so this is going to take us back to uh, 1992, and uh, we had a, there were a lot of conventions, D&D conventions at the time. Uh, AD&D was the big game, of course, first edition. Second edition had just come out, but it was still kind of transitioning. People weren't fully transitioned over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm at this convention, and uh, there were a bunch of events. Uh, two events. You were, you're going to think that the big melee where you get to run around and fight people, and every person you kill, you get $2 is, is where oh. this is going to come from. Shoot, However, yeah. that is not the uh, funeral pyre. <laughs> there was a, comp- a tournament game where you basically played and you you got a, a character assigned to you. At, there were 30 tables, I believe. And uh, you had to go through and basically try to get as much gold with your character as you could individually while also working with the party. And then at the end of it, basically, it kept getting harder and harder until each you know somebody died until there's only one player left at each table and then Interesting. moved on. It was fun. My yeah. problem was I played a rogue and I was like, I'm going whole hog with this. I'm going to jump in and play a rogue. <laughs> yeah. I walk into this room by myself. I'm scouting ahead and there's a giant shelf with gold on it. And I'm like, this is trapped, but I want the gold. So yeah. I had a 10 foot pull because nowadays in D&D, not so much, but in basic and first and second edition, you always had a 10 foot pull. Yeah. That's what you put into the mouth of the green demon face. Exactly. That's not your hand or your whole body. Or- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's only a three-foot pole now. I don't know why. Oh, um, weirdest thing. <laughs> but so I reached out and I prodded the shelf with my 10-foot pole. And the next thing I know, the DM goes, roll a poison save. And in first edition, you had three saves, basically. You had a poison save, yeah. a death save, and a wand, spells, and rod save. 
<laughs> so I rolled the save, and the DM was kind. He kind of looked away real quick and goes, oh, I didn't see it roll, so you can roll again. Rolled it again, got a one. <laughs> oh, Out jumped no. a yellow mold. Now, let me tell you about first edition yellow molds. Mm. You have a 50% uh, chance per contact that it's going to release spores. He had already rolled that ahead of time. Oh. If you fail the poison save, you are killed instantly. Your lungs filled with yellow mold growth, unless you make the saving throw. Even if you oh, make my. the saving throw, you still have to have Cure Disease and Resurrection cast on you within 24 hours to be revived. Wow. First edition was, I have my old first edition monster manual here. I just pulled it up just to, yeah. to get it right. Um, <laughs> so I proceeded to die. And at this particular event, whenever someone died, they'd come by and ring a huge cowbell and sing, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye. <laughs> Okay. And so uh, I did my little arms up and I walked away. The third person in the entire tavern, in the entire tavern, uh, kicked out of the game through death. And that oh, is my, my goodness. So it wasn't even, <laughs> it's not even like you got to the end. You were one no, of the first. And the worst part is some of the other people were like, don't touch that. And I'm like, but it's gold. I'm a rogue. I'm going to touch it. Yeah. <laughs> so that is my, uh, I don't have a name for him or anything, but um, yeah, that was my female fire. Okay. Wow. <laughs> So much there. That's that's interesting. That's uh, I I love the setup of like you have a convention where like you've got all these different tables and then whoever gets the most gold is event. Oh, I love the idea of that. However, it does feel completely anathema to what is D and D nowadays. I feel it like. is completely different. For example, when they ran the uh, the the, comp the competitive tournament, the PvP tournament. They basically give you two million gold to buy whatever you wanted for your character. So oh, okay. um, I basically got partnered up with my dad's friend from work. My dad was in the army and uh, one of his coworkers, well, a bunch of his coworkers were there that day. I got to play so many games that day because <laughs> they all knew yeah. me. Um, but one of my dad's coworkers teamed up with me and goes, look, you be the bait. I'm going to be an invisible rogue with Ayun stones and I'm going to backstab everybody who comes up to you. Well, that worked. I got, I got like three or four people come up. I wasn't getting the kills, but you were splitting the money. So three or four people yeah. came up to me. And then finally, just one guy got through and he didn't see him. And, you know, we're talking ridiculous first edition magic items. Two million gold is a lot. You can buy sure, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So I got backstabbed and killed. And uh, that was less glorious, I think. But uh, but I, I made six <laughs> bucks. So, I mean. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. It was all right. All right. Um, do you recall what the name was of your character that uh, died to the yellow mold? <sighs> no, I'm sure it was some particularly traditional AD&D name from the time, like Grask thief star or something okay all right well uh let's raise a glass in memory of grask thief star as we are reminded that poison didn't used to deal damage over time <laughs> Click. all right uh so that'll do it for today uh, jacob once again if you would like to tell our listeners anything that you want to plug any where they can reach you go ahead and do so yeah, uh, thanks. So once again, uh, if you're interested in communicating with me as a teacher, you can go to Mr. Cassens, all spelled out at gmail.com. Uh, again, on all the social media, or if you're interested in uh, looking up as a D&D player or RPG player, uh, I play pretty much everything. Uh, you can look up Jacob the GM, J-A-C-O-B the GM at uh, gmail.com. I'm on all the social media with that one. And if you are looking for someone to uh, help with your writing or marketing or anything like that, look me up at Jacob at pixelpopmarketing.com. And real quick, uh, my buddy Alf is a game designer, Alf Siegert. He designed uh, Illumination, uh, Road to Canterbury, a few other games. Uh, I do a lot of editing and proofreading for him. So I just wanted to make sure I pointed out that I'm, 
I'm grateful that he has uh, brought me in to help out with those games. So um, from earlier, I wanted to make sure I added that and I forgot. So <laughs> sure. he'd kill me if I if I didn't remember because I was like, is it okay if I mention you on this? And he goes, <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I'm like, okay, but then I forgot because. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, so anyway, try to, thanks. I'll try to find some of his stuff and put those in the show notes as well. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jacob, for coming on the show. I, I had a great time. I hope you did as well. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So like I said, that'll do it for today. To submit questions for us to discuss, items for the Dragon's Horde, or stories for the Funeral Pyre, please email us at interpartyconflict at gmail.com. For show notes, links to media mentioned on the show, and running lists of questions and magic items, go to interpartyconflict.com. Join the discussion on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on uh, Reddit. We're on our Interparty Discord. We're on Twitter at InPartyConflict. Check those out for our weekly social media questions. Your answers might end up on the show. Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you download podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe, or just tell a friend. We don't have most of our Patreon anymore, but if you want to just give us a dollar a month to help with hosting fees in the foreseeable future, there is a ton of content on there. For one single dollar, you can get dozens of bonus episodes, hundreds of outtakes, tons and tons of stuff. So go check that out at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. Uh, Jeff, tell us about FriendQuest. FriendQuest is a YouTube channel where you can watch us play video games. There you go. Also head over to bit.ly slash interpartyconflict and tell us what were some of your favorite memories from the show. If you do so, you'll get two free printable board games courtesy of the great people over at hollandspiel.com. And our music is made by Boxcat Games from Nameless the Hackers RPG. So Jeff, until next time, misery is alive! (laughs) 